us to suffer. The, the world that God built for us would have had opposition and would have required effort, but suffering, suffering is a consequence of, of the entrance of sin and death. It's not something that God originally planned for us. Mike here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning into the Vox Podcast. We're thrilled that uh, you would take the time to allow us to be a part of your journey. If you're driving in the car or um, if you're working out or if you're sitting at work or if you're trying to go to sleep, um, which I, I think a lot of people have said this is very helpful in, uh, in putting them to sleep. So whatever you're doing, hey, I hope you're having a great day. It is 23 degrees Today in suburban Columbus, Ohio, I'm wearing slippers. Not that anyone cares except that I've never worn slippers before, but this uh, this winter thing, um, I'm wearing slippers. So there there is that. And I'm reminded again of, uh, of uh, I cannot believe that I moved from Orange County, California to Columbus, Ohio, um, because January is such a long, dreary month. But we have so much good fodder for conversation uh, that I can't help myself. I think we've we're seven questions to, to try to get through. I'm going to try to keep the Q&A ones a bit shorter, uh, especially if I'm by myself like I am today. I can't. I imagine that gets pretty monotonous. So if you're trying to go to sleep, I think this is a great one to listen to. Otherwise, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we can make it interesting. Some of the questions are incredible. Uh, this is from a young man who says, Dear Mike, I know this question has probably been asked more times than you can count, but please indulge me here. I'm honored to indulge. What is uh, the point of prayer, he asks. As a lifelong Christian, it seems like prayer is taught as some version of rubbing the genie lamp in hopes that your wish comes true. In churches, it seems like prayer is always discussed in context to wanting something good to happen. Like landing a great job, hearing or healing for a loved one, comfort in a difficult time, etc. But why aren't those requests consistently answered? My second child was recently born with a rare birth defect, which was a complete shock. Before she was born, my wife and I prayed for nothing more than a healthy baby, yet she was born with a life-threatening defect. My friend, I am so sorry to hear that. Uh, he continues, the explanations that I have been offered from fellow Christians about why prayers aren't answered, and specifically about my daughter's birth defect, are as follows. And he has a ranking system here that is not safe for work, <laughs> but it's funny um, and sad. Um, the first, uh, first explanation, God wants us to suffer so we can somehow be drawn to him. Secondly, Adam and Eve ate an apple, so now we all have to suffer because God said so. That God is actually blessing you because of some unforeseen negative consequences um, would have followed should your prayer have been answered. And finally, I heard that God simply isn't powerful enough to answer all prayers. Frankly, the last explanation seems to make the most sense. Why else would so many Christians endure suffering often on a scale and an intensity that most of us cannot imagine. Maybe God doesn't care enough to exert his full power or is still trying to figure out how to be good while giving us free will. 
Right or wrong, I feel like my faith hinges on whether God answers my prayers in the ways I hope he does. Anything outside of that begins to feel like exercises in, um, in circular logic or masochism. Uh, and then, uh, then he signs off and, and that boy, that is a phenomenal question that can never be asked too much. I know that that we've done some episodes in the past on, on, uh, unanswered prayer. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm, I still, I'm going to take time, of course, to, to wrestle with this, but there, uh, there've been some fuller discussions, uh, prior to this that I, I want to make you aware of. Um, uh, episode 165, which is called Suffering Doubt and the Mystery of Prayer, was our latest attempt uh, to, to deal with unanswered prayer and uh, it may be worth uh, some of your time. I'd also recommend a book that is very provocative, but it's called Is God to Blame? And it's um, written by Greg Boyd, and he advocates some things that I don't quite line up with theologically, but uh, it's one of the best books I've ever read on the mystery of unanswered prayer, just for some resources and some background. Um, so my brother, first of all, I'm, I, I can really resonate with the surprise of, of hearing a diagnosis uh, that you weren't prepared for. As I don't know if you know this, but we'd had two children and had held off having a third child because I was specifically afraid for reasons I don't have time to get into that that third child would have Down syndrome. And uh, I remember the moment we were turning, it was next to the Orange County Fairgrounds when I felt like I heard God say, hey, listen, live, because our, our family didn't feel full. And, uh, and, but I was worried about having a third child. My, my wife and I were getting up in age and there were risks, certain risk factors and all of those sorts of things. And so I was anxious about that. I feel like the Lord was saying, Hey, live by faith and not by fear. And so, um, uh, we went ahead and, and, uh, got pregnant with our third child. And then three months before our sweet little Seth was born, we found out he had down syndrome precisely the diagnosis I was most afraid of. And, and, and it was either that diagnosis or something called trisomy 18, which, which means um, the child would not be viable outside the womb. So it was either life-threatening or uh, life-altering. Either diagnosis was um, pretty intense. So, so my heart goes out to you, and I can deeply resonate with how unhelpful the answers are by well-intentioned people who are trying to help and bring comfort. But very often those, um, those, uh, those cliches make things worse. In fact, I remember very specifically a dear friend of mine and I got into an argument over lunch because he was saying, hey, isn't it comforting to know that God, you know, trusted you enough to give you a child with Down syndrome? And my response was, well, I don't think God gave me a child with Down syndrome. I don't think God gives children with birth defects. I think that birth defects are consequence of the fall. I don't think that was ever God's intent um, was to give children with birth defects. So, so we got in this huge disagreement over, over that concept. So I'm incredibly sympathetic to uh, your pain. And I'm so sorry that you have to, you and your wife and family have to go through this. Um, 
so so let's go through some of the bad answers first and why they're bad answers. Um, God wants us to suffer so he can, we can somehow be drawn to him. Well, that certainly can happen in suffering, of course, but um, that assumes that God has caused this suffering, and I disagree with that. I don't think God is in the business of giving children birth defects. I don't, like he's got some store of souls up in heaven that, okay, this one's going to go into a, a body with epilepsy and I've got to find the right parents for this. I just, I think that is a complete uh, misrepresentation of what our God is like and what our God is doing in the world. So totally with you on disagreeing with God wants us to suffer. He does not want us to suffer. Um, in the world that God built for us would have had opposition and would have required effort but suffering, suffering is a consequence of, of the entrance of sin and death. It's not something that God originally planned for us. Um, secondly, Adam and Eve ate the apple, so now we have to suffer because God said so. And, um, and, and I don't know <laughs> if you mean by that, that we live in a fallen world. Well, yeah, that's the biblical story. I mean, the biblical story is that God, uh, that God created the world good and then sin and death infected every human heart. Whether you take the story of Adam and Eve literally and the fruit, you know, whatever, there is no denying, though, that, uh, that human beings have done quite the job at putting our corruption on display. Not just in individual acts, but even the institutions and the systems of human society Right. I mean, I, I talked to a, a doctor once about why he thought the rates of autism were skyrocketing. The rates of cancer were skyrocketing. He just simply said, listen, we put we put all kinds of poison into our bodies all the time. Food we eat, the cooking spray we use, the the shampoo uh, that we put on our heads, the deodorant we put under our arms. We're poisoning ourselves constantly. And, um, and I had never, never thought of it that way. And so there is a sense in which I think the biblical story opens up for us the idea that not, not only are, are human beings fallen, but the world itself, the creation itself is groaning and, um, and, it, it, and it awaits redemption. And so I, my view, I see birth defects uh, is not the products of God's will. I see birth defects as the products of corrupt DNA, of, uh, of, of general fallenness. Um, and if you want to trace that back to, you know, the decision of our first parents, uh, I totally understand that. Um, why would God continue to allow suffering and not answer our prayers? We'll get to that in just a second. But why is there fallenness? Well, the biblical answer is that, that uh, human beings were given true freedom, that God desired true freedom for them and from them. And in our freedom, we chose darkness and darkness has infected every part of human society. The other answer you got was uh, God is actually blessing you because of some unforeseen negative consequences would have followed should your prayer have been fulfilled. Now, I think that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um... <laughs> I, I, you know, of course, of course, God can bring good out of evil. He's a genius at this. And, and he's so good at it that people are tempted to think that God brought about the evil just so he could bring about the good. But my friend, I don't believe that God ever, ever uses evil or requires it to achieve his purposes. 
So do I believe that this could turn out to be a blessing? I do. Of course, that, that, that is the hope um, that we have, that, that, that disease, that death, that illness and defect, those things don't have the final word over us. I mean, I remember, and I've told this story many times before, so forgive the repetition, but I remember exactly making two weeks after we found out about uh, the, the diagnosis, we went public with the diagnosis and our sadness about it. And people had all sorts of reactions to our being sad about this. But there was uh, a couple that walked up with a little boy. I think he was four, three or four years old. He had Down syndrome. And they just said, hey, we're so happy for you and walked away. And I was not happy for me. I could not see any happiness or goodness that would come from this. And yet they were right. And you are not in a place yet to receive the possibility that goodness And happiness can come in some way, shape, or form, or some sort of redemption can come from this. But even if it does, uh, that doesn't mean that God caused this to teach you a lesson, right? God doesn't need to do this to teach us. He has all sorts of things he can do to teach us. And and do I believe that your last, the last thing you've been told, do I believe that God can answer every prayer? Absolutely. When I look at the ministry of Jesus, And I see him healing and I see him bringing people back from the dead. I mean, I I think none of that's too far. And so my wife and I, we begged God for three months before Seth was born that the diagnosis was wrong and that our our little guy would be born without a diagnosis and um, would live a long, full life. And in fact, the first thing I said when I saw him uh, during the C-section was, yep, he's got it. Now... Obviously, people get upset with uh, with that sort of reaction, but I certainly wasn't interested in, um, we, we were already in the middle of one of our children having autism, and we were we thought we'd kind of done the special needs thing. And so it's been a totally humbling, has God drawn us, has God drawn us to him? Of course. Has it turned out to be a blessing in unexpected ways? Of course. We wouldn't trade Seth for the world. Um, and, and, you know, if you were to say, Hey, we can heal this kid right now, boy, it'd be tough for us because we only know him this way and we adore him this way. So, um, so I know that doesn't answer the question. What is the point of prayer? But I I just want to resonate with you about how unsatisfying some of those answers are, although they may hint at things that are true. The truth of the matter, my friend is this, um, that no no matter what answer, there is no answer I can give you that will help. The only answer that is true is I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why God didn't answer. I don't know. I know he can. I know he's good. And I know his will for human beings did not originally include birth defects. And so I don't know. I don't know why um, in any way, shape or form, he did not answer your prayer. And the answers that we give uh, to the why question, I think, can do more harm than good. And so even if I could give you an answer, though, I really don't think uh, it, would, it would make it much easier. Um, the, 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 the mystery of unanswered prayer, I think, is one of the hardest. For those of us who take, you know, Jesus following seriously, it's one of the hardest mysteries we have to wrestle through. So what is the point of prayer then? 
if prayer if prayer has been painted like it sounds it, ha- it, it it sounds like it has for you as simply a means to get what we want then it's no wonder that we've been set up for massive disappointment and and you're in danger but in your words of losing your faith because God didn't answer the prayer the way that you had wanted him to um i see i've learned to see prayer differently and you know it's me saying what I'm about to say isn't going to help. It's not going to make this easier. Um, I just think God could not actualize the kind of participants and cooperative people he wanted in creating human beings without the possibility of evil and suffering. Because what he ultimately desires for us is love and love requires freedom. And so ultimately the, the for God to want free participants and cooperative people in his movement that he wanted, uh, he wanted to be in relationship with them. All of that uh, assumes deep freedom. And that freedom assumes uh, that there are things that can be chosen that aren't the best things, that aren't the good things, that aren't the right things. Moreover, I think the scripture is really, really clear that God's will isn't the only will being done on earth, that there are demonic wills, that there are evil human wills, um, and, uh, and so there are, uh, and this is where Greg Boyd's book really, he really spends some time in this in ways I just don't, uh, have time to, or, um, I don't even have the theological expertise to, but there, there are so many different variables around prayer in the scriptures. You know, you have Daniel praying and then, um, for an interpretation of a vision and three weeks go by, he hasn't heard anything. And then an angel shows up saying, well, I'm sorry, I had to do battle and the battle was intense enough. I had to call back up. So sorry about that. You have, you know, Jesus, uh, talking to his disciples about casting out a demon through prayer. And he's like, well, yeah, but this kind has to come out through prayer and fasting. And I mean, it's, uh, I don't, I just don't know. I just don't know. Uh, what, what I come back to is Jesus didn't heal everybody who was sick. Jesus didn't raise everybody who was dead. Jesus didn't um, give sight to everyone who was blind. That, that people cried out to him and he responded. But I'm sure there were instances where people were crying out and he did not. And I haven't the foggiest idea why some and not others. I just simply don't know. I know that, that Jesus is good and true and beautiful, and I know that his purposes will prevail on the earth, and I know, uh, ultimately, so, that I, so three things I rest on when it comes to this. God is good, evil is truly evil, is that some means to a bigger good, and then ultimately God will bring good out of evil. That's, that is, to me, the biblical teaching on evil. And how it applies to prayer, I think God is looking for cooperative participants in his movement. And um, he allows a great deal of freedom and agency to be exercised by the human persons who image him, just as he exercises freedom and agency as well. Now, even as I say all of that, I know none of that is super helpful, right? I, all I can do is join with you in the scariness of that journey and say, yes, we've walked it. And yes, God has been faithful. And I don't know if Seth will live a long life, I don't know if your child will live a long life. I have no idea. All I, all I ultimately know is that I wouldn't trade the experience. Now having walked it 10 years, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. And, um, and, I, and I meet, 
a number of remarkable people who will end up saying the same thing about cancer or bankruptcy or um, all sorts of horrendous things that we would never choose. And yet God is beautiful enough to bring good out of those situations. So please uh, respond back. Let me know your thoughts. Um, Ultimately, I don't know that there's any answer that proves uh, to be satisfied. I think your podcast is awesome. This is a, a different young man. Uh, I've been listening it uh, to it while I'm at work, where I sit at a computer all day. It's perfect for that. Yep, and it's also perfect to go to sleep too. Um, also appreciate you being from the great OH, being from Cincy myself. In the last few years, I've become more acquainted with the spiritual side of the Trinity. And I'm wondering if you could speak more into the notion of spiritual gifts And if you've personally have explored your own spiritual gifts, and and he has a parenthesis here like tongues, prophecy, wisdom, healing, etc. If you have, what advice would you give for nurturing a spiritual gift once you realize what your niche might be? Mine, parenthesis being prophecy, question mark. Thank you for a podcast. I appreciate it. All right, my friend. So for those of you who are new to the Christian faith or have left the Christian faith or, you know, don't have any idea about what it is that he's talking about. Um, One of the central uh, images of the Christian story is that Jesus, um, after his death, ascends, and the biblical language is to the right hand of the Father. Uh, The image is that of a throne up in the heavens, and that the, at, the right, the, at the right hand of the king would be a place of honor, a place of power, a place of glory. Um, and that Jesus is now ruling and reigning over the earth and then implementing his great victory through his resurrection and ascension, um, you know, for the last 2000 years. And um, that what Jesus does when someone comes and surrenders their life in allegiance to him that he gives them a gift of his spirit, that his, that an actual part of this Trinitarian God uh, is the person of the Holy Spirit, who is then given as a gift to uh, accomplish the aims of Jesus's salvation in the individual people who now claim allegiance to him. And as part of uh, applying the inheritance of what Jesus has done to individual people, the spirit imparts gifts for the strengthening of God's people. They're called spiritual gifts. And um, they're, they're spiritual in the sense that they're animated by the Holy Spirit. And they're for the edification, which is another word to say the encouragement of, of the community of Jesus followers. And Paul, the apostle Paul speaks about these several different places um, like this, there's a spiritual gift of teaching so that when you're, when certain people teach, it's not just that they're uttering words, but there's like a, a, a spiritual power behind that teaching that isn't behind every other teaching. Um, uh, there's a spiritual gift of, of mercy, um, where like God, 
actually uses the, the, the gifts and partners with the person bearing the gift to accomplish more than they could beyond their natural giftedness. And so there are these big lists of spiritual gifts and included in those lists of spiritual gifts are um, gifts that have become controversial in the Christian community that are, that are named in this email. Uh, they're called the sign gifts, S-I-G-N. And the sign gifts are gifts that were used to authenticate the truthfulness of the Christian message in the first century. So they were a sign that what the apostles were saying and what the eyewitnesses were reporting was true. And those gifts included the gift of tongues, speaking in a foreign language in order to testify to the reality of Jesus. Uh, prophecy, um, having, having knowledge or insight that was beyond what your natural insight would give you. Wisdom, a very similar uh, gift to prophecy, sometimes called words of knowledge. Insight into somebody or some situation that's beyond what you would have naturally. Uh, healing, you obviously have Jesus healing, but then you have Jesus's followers, healing people, um, raising people from the dead and so on. Now, those are divisive because those gifts in some Christian circles have been very abused, have been elevated to the point where you can't be a Christian unless you speak in tongues or unless you, you know, have the gift of prophecy. And a lot of the televangelists and, um, you know, Christian television kind of emphasize that sort of spectacular, like uh, the gift of healing, for instance, is, is very much exalted in some circles. Um, and so we have in, in our mind images of people flailing around on the stage who've been healed by this healer. I mean, a, a lot of us are very suspicious by this and uh, by some of these gifts and, and the way certain segments of the church have elevated them. There is, though, and, and I've changed, I mean, this is one of the several things that my, kind of as I've, I've uh, studied more and more, my view has changed on this. There is a stream of Christianity that argues that those gifts have ceased because uh, the, the Bible has now been put together and the Bible itself is the authenticating witness of the testimony therein. So we don't need these signed gifts to authenticate the message. Uh, and there's a theological argument that they give. I have come to disagree uh, significantly with that theological argument. And so I would, I would hold that the Bible teaches that all of those gifts are available today. Moreover, um, when I was uh, very young in my faith, uh, the church talked about spiritual gifts like, like the, this was something that uh, um, you were given and it was given randomly. And so you would take a test to determine whether or not you had spiritual gift X. And so like a personality test, here are 50 questions on the basis of this 50 questions. We think you have the spiritual gift of administration or the spiritual gift of helps or whatever it is, the spiritual gift of leadership. Uh, but that, I, I think that is incredibly harmful uh, way of looking at the spiritual gifts because Paul, if you read 1 Corinthians, this is kind of his biggest um, section or text on spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He actually ends one whole section in that text by saying, eagerly pursue the greater gifts, especially prophecy. And, um, and, and, and it, it dawned on me for the first time. It was like, I'd read that before. 
But it dawned on me that you could actually pursue a gift. Now, I think I, I, I was given a gift um, that I didn't pursue, but, but I, I was like, oh, so you can pursue these gifts. And, um, and I had some, some mentors in my life who came from a very sort of Pentecostal stream who believed that all the gifts were open for today and available. And, uh, and I, so I took Paul at his word and I, I eagerly desired, uh, the gift of prophecy and I didn't know what that meant. And I knew I didn't want to get weird, but I, I asked for the gift of prophecy and what began. And I, and, and, and I had this weird sort of experience where I, I think I received it at least for a season because what began to happen is in my capacity as a teaching pastor, um, there, there would be things that I would say uh, where people would come up and just say, well, you were talking to me exactly. Your exact, that exact sentence was for me specifically and here's why. Or I would pray for people and I ended up praying for things like, that weren't connected to the thing that people had asked for prayer for. And yet it turned out to be the real thing they were struggling with. I mean, um, like for instance, and, and I know you could just chalk this up to coincidence for sure, but a young man was asking, Hey, I, I struggle with pornography. I need to be free. Um, and so, uh, and so he asked me to pray for him. So I started to pray for him. And then, um, I don't know why, but I have this deep sense that he needs to forgive his father. And so I start praying about him forgiving his dad. And, and this guy who's bigger than I am. He just collapses on the floor sobbing. And, and, and you could say, yeah, sure. Every, every guy struggles with porn and every guy has a bad relationship with his dad. But there was some sort of power there um, that was different. It was unique. People would ask me questions and things would come out of my mouth that I'd never said or thought before. And, and, and it wasn't common and it wasn't spectacular. It was very ordinary. But the thing that was so powerful is I, I felt like, okay, like God has answered this and has given me a taste in it. And, and, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's more real and sometimes it's not as real or as prevalent. And I don't know how that works and how it ebbs and flows. So my answer to you, uh, what advice would you give for nurturing a spiritual gift is, first of all, don't take a test. Serve in the church community in a variety of capacities and see where God uses you. The spiritual gifts are best affirmed by the community. I would never, ever, ever uh, known that I, ha I had the gift of teaching, had a very courageous pastor <laughs> Let, let me try to raise some money to go on a summer, summer project with what was then Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, he let me stand up and give a teaching and they took something called a love offering uh, where people could give money. And, and so I, do, I did a sermon and I'd never been trained to do it. I didn't know how to do it. I just did it. And, uh, and, and people began to respond uh, in ways that, you know, were totally mystifying to me. And so, so um, serve in a wide variety of capacities and see what, what, what people affirm in you and, and what God uses. Is, it, is there any fruit that come, comes from that? Secondly, desire spiritual gifts. Um, I, so I've asked, and there, there have been some that I've asked God for, particularly gift of healing. I've, I've prayed for so many people to be healed 
And to my knowledge, uh, I don't know of one who has. So if you want healing, you got to go have someone else praying for you, evidently. But um, I, I've asked God for that gift, and he's not, he's not to my knowledge, given that. So, um, so I, I, I keep pursuing spiritual gifts and ask God for those spiritual gifts. But don't, we don't want to get, we don't want to elevate the gifts to the, to the point where we miss the giver. We don't want to elevate the gifts to think that, well, we can't do anything until we know what our spiritual gifts are. Um, I, all I know is that um, to find a group of mature believers who will give you permission to exercise your gifts imperfectly, because man... I, I went back uh, months ago and listened to like a tape, a cassette tape of one of the first like public sermons I ever did. And, and it was horrific. And, and yet there was this church and there were these leaders who were willing to let me be terrible because they saw something, you know, that perhaps could be developed into something bigger. And uh, for you to find a community like that, it would be super important. I've also found lots of people who are convinced they have a spiritual gift that they don't really have. So um, the teaching has always been my sort of arena. So, you know, some of the hardest conversations I have with people are just, I don't, I think you're a great communicator, but I don't know that you have the spiritual gift of teaching. Um, so that's where other people really need to affirm it in you. And, uh, and, and so until you have other people affirming it, you want to hold it very loosely and, um, and want to be open, kind of handed with it so that that doesn't become a thing or an idol or a, um, something that God has to do in order to, to use you. Um, other than that, though, I love that you asked the question. And um, if you're interested in some writers, there's a guy named Gordon Fee, F-E-E, -E, who's written tons of books on, on, uh, the Holy spirit. Um, one of the best books on the Holy spirit I've ever read was by a guy named Simon Ponsby. And, um, man, I don't remember, uh, what the name of the book is. Um, I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes. Uh, but anyway, uh, really, really good stuff. Lots of resources that are out there for you to study more. Thanks again for, for writing and asking the question. I got through two of my uh, seven questions. So anyway, hope this in some way, shape or form is helpful, my brothers and sisters. I am so freaking honored to do this and to be a part of, of the lives of this whole community. And so thank you for tuning in. Thank you for liking, subscribing, reviewing. Thank you for the Patreon support. It's just amazing. We're so very grateful to keep going. Um, doing what we're doing. And uh, again, as I've teased several times, good things are ahead for us. So till next time, my friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. Thank you, friends.